Hello, I'm Ramzi Janini, and welcome to Noise in the Groove, the origin of sound recording. That was not our theme tune, because this is not episode 6. This is the first show in a spin-off of sorts that I'm calling Tales in the Groove. While Noise in the Groove certainly jumps around in time and space quite a bit, it's more or less centered on the origins of sound recording in the late 19th century. With Tales in the Groove, I want to really step out of that continuum to cherry-pick my favorite myths, legends, stories, and episodes from the history of sound recording and recorded music. Some will be very much based in fact, and others a little less so. But what they'll all have in common is that they are stories that have been told as fact, and in that sense, they are history, even if the fish have grown a bit in the telling. With that said, welcome to Tales in the Groove 1, an adagio for Stalin. Joseph Stalin died on the 5th of March of 1953. If you had examined his corpse, you might have had difficulty imagining the fear and love and terror and fright he instilled in millions and millions of people. Unless, of course, you're afraid of corpses, and to be fair, they are a bit creepy. He was a short man, around 5 foot 4, and he had a face scarred by smallpox. He had webbed toes, and his arms didn't match. He had badly damaged his left arm in a carriage accident when he was a boy, leaving it stiffer, weaker, and shorter than his right arm throughout his life. And by arm, I mean both hand and arm, Russian style. Did you know that in Russian, hand and arm are the same word? And they have another word for leg slash foot, but I digress. A few days earlier, he had been found in his room lying on the floor, soaked in his own urine and mumbling incoherently. He had had a severe stroke. He had given strict orders not to be disturbed, so many long hours had passed before he was found and attended to. All the while, a record was spinning on his turntable, but the stylist had long since left the groove. The turn arm clacked, clacked, clacked. In this optimistic and forgiving world of ours, you'll find people today who still love Stalin. They'll probably accept that he was, at least occasionally, excessively violent, but they'll also single him out as a hero of his times, the man whose leadership defeated Hitler's invincible Third Reich, saving not only the Soviet Union, but also Europe and perhaps the world. In the opinion of most of that same world, Stalin was and remains a monster. It's difficult to quantify just how many deaths he's personally responsible for, but even when discounting the staggering human cost of World War II, estimates begin at around 20 million. Some go as high as 60 million, which equates to an average of 40,000 murders a week during his leadership. Many of the killed, threatened, tortured, and imprisoned were artists, poets, and musicians. Lenin's revolution, with both its violence and promise of a new and liberated society, formed a socio-political context that inspired an incredible generation of avant-garde poets, writers, filmmakers, musicians, painters, and artists of every description in the 1920s and teens. 19-teens? I don't know. But by the late 1930s, Stalin's regime, with its many purges and suppressions, had largely uprooted and crushed any artistic expressions that tried to do anything other than glorify the proletariat and the revolution in immediately understandable terms. Yet things weren't always so black and white. Artists, and perhaps particularly musicians, had a grey area to work with. It was a dangerous game, but it was a game that could be played. Some would disappear in the night, 
But others, like Shostakovich, would be warned and given a chance to reform. And still others, as we'll see, seem to have achieved a sort of personal freedom of expression within that system of fear and repression. Stalin, after all, may have been a monster, but he was also a human being. He was an avid reader, and he also loved, among other things, playing pool, watching cowboy films, and listening to music. Later on in his life, it might not surprise you to hear that he didn't have too many close friends, so he would spend much of his free time reading and writing, but when it would become too dark to comfortably read, he would turn on the radio, tune in, and drop out. One evening, he heard a wonderful rendition of Mozart's 23rd Piano Concerto, featuring his favorite pianist, Maria Udina. He was so taken with the performance that before going to bed, he called the studio to request a copy of the record to be delivered the next morning. When Stalin asked anyone for anything, they said yes first and asked questions later. So Stalin hung up the phone and drifted off to sleep. But at the radio station, they had an emergency on their hands. You see, Stalin had heard a live concert broadcast, not a studio recording. That meant that they had from dusk till dawn to find Maria Yudina a conductor and an orchestra, and then to record the concerto and print a record before Stalin woke up the next morning. What's more, they had to make it sound like the radio broadcast Stalin had heard the night before. If he could tell the difference, their lives could all be in danger. When the heavy knocks banged on Maria Yudina's door that night, the thought must have passed through her mind that perhaps her time was up. You see, she was not only a gifted teacher and a genius musician, she was also devoutly religious, an advocate of Western modernist music, some of which was banned, and more shockingly still, a lifelong and very vocal critic of Stalin's regime. However, up to that point Stalin had always tolerated her beliefs and actions. It may have been that her religious devotion touched a nerve of superstitious fear in Stalin, or perhaps it was more to do with his simple love of her playing, but whatever the reasons were, Maria seemed to be able to play what she wanted to play and say what she wanted to say. Of course, she had the courage to do so, and it came at great personal cost. She would go from having the highest teaching positions in the country to living homeless on the streets, but she always stood up for what and who she believed in. And whether in the conservatory or sleeping on the streets, she would always be wearing the same humble clothes and tennis shoes. After a recital in Leningrad, which is now St. Petersburg, instead of playing an encore, she read Boris Pasternak's poetry from the stage. Pasternak's work, which would eventually include Dr. Zhivago, was banned in the Soviet Union. As a result of this act of protest, Yudina was banned from performing for five years. But despite many such frustrations, controversies, and setbacks, she was never imprisoned or officially censured in her life. She answered the door, listened to what her escorts had to say, and followed them into the black night. The story that they had given her, that Stalin required a recording of her evening's performance before the break of light, probably had the ring of truth to it. And in any case, she didn't have much choice. At the recording studio, almost everyone was in a state of anxiety and fear. But if you didn't have felt any of those emotions, they didn't show in her playing which was as flowing, lyrical, and powerful as ever throughout the night. The conductors were not nearly as composed. Apparently, over the course of the evening, two had had nervous breakdowns and couldn't continue. The third one summoned managed to hold it together long enough to make it work. By the break of dawn, 
Yudina was back asleep, sleeping the sleep of the innocent, and the recording had been finished, pressed, and sent to the Kremlin. There were a few rough corners, perhaps, but no more so than might be expected of a live recording. And at the heart of it, Yudina's brilliant playing shined like a diamond, weaving all of the sounds together into a tapestry of beauty. Stalin loved the recording and would treasure it until the end of his life, literally. He was said to be so pleased, in fact, that he sent her 20,000 rubles for her efforts. When Stalin gives you a gift, you of course send a thank you note, but you don't write what Yudina wrote. She wrote to Stalin that she had donated the money to the church, and furthermore, I will pray for you day and night and ask the Lord to forgive you for your great sins before the people and country. Everyone thought that Yudina had pushed things too far and had placed that fatal straw on the camel's back. But in the end, it was business as usual. As I mentioned earlier, Yudina was never arrested. And in the end for Stalin, after collapsing on the floor after his stroke, paralyzed, he just may have had a filament of consciousness remaining to think about her prayers, and perhaps even his mercy. And as he lay dying, from the corner of the room, the sounds of that very record rang out from the horn of his record player, sending an adagio for the sadness and joy of experience into that cold Moscow night. There are various versions of this story, and we'll never be sure what is and isn't true in the account I've just related. However, a recording of Maria Yudina playing Mozart's 23rd piano concerto does exist. So, let's listen to the F-sharp minor adagio from that concerto. And while we listen, let's imagine both its production in the middle of the night, and also its reproduction as a small man with webbed toes and wonky arms suffered an agonizing end. Thank mm-hmm. you. 